todo el mundo. Was really... 1881. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film The Ventures Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. My guests today are the director and the narrator of an amazing new rock doc, Randy Rhodes' Reflections of a Guitar Icon. Andre Relis and Tracy Guns join me to talk about the making of this exhaustively researched and truly eye-opening movie about a guitar hero that we love but know relatively little about. I saw the movie last night and I was blown away by all the rare photos, footage, and audio clips. You can see for yourself when Randy Rhodes' Reflections of a Guitar Icon is released on Friday, May the 6th via video on demand. Now let's get to our interview. Uh, Andre, you have some really amazing photos and rare footage of Randy Rhodes, um, particularly from his days with Quiet Riot, um, not to mention the perspectives of people we don't usually hear from. Um, his guitar tech, the fan club president, a photographer. So what was your method of rounding all this up? Well, uh, one thing that really helped was uh, there's a gentleman named Ron Sobel who uh, created a documentary back in 2011, 2012. Uh, we were able to license some footage from it. It was uh, based upon Randy in the early years uh, of his life with Quiet Riot. So I was able to license some footage from that and build around it um, and got very fortunate because the, the, you know, one thing is the Randy Rhodes community really wants to see something come out about him. Uh, they've been waiting for a documentary on, on his life for many years, and they were very uh, good to me in, in contributing to this. Yeah, and you also chose to kind of go with lesser known people. You do have some really cool well-known musicians in the documentary too but you know but did you find that these perspectives from other people were more unique than perhaps uh, um the more high profile names might have been yeah i definitely did i mean they might be not as well-known people but they were there with him and and with the band early on uh so yeah i you know it doesn't really matter to me how uh, famous somebody is uh, it's more or less if they were there and they can help tell the story and, and they were very successful in doing that 
Well, you do have a famous narrator. So uh, Tracy, can you talk about <laughs> how your approach to narrate uh, reflections of a guitar icon and what made you want to help tell Randy's story? Well, I, I mean, I was an obsessed, I'm still obsessed, but I mean, when I was 15 years old, I was turned on to Randy Rhodes and I was told that it would be my favorite guitar player. And, and it was correct, you know, sp specifically at the time. Um, so for me, this has really come full circle as a guitarist in my career to where, you know, when you're in your 50s, you get to tell the story of your hero, you know, um, and he definitely is. And it's very emotional for me. And, you know, doing the narration was emotional, especially toward the end. Um, you know, Andre and his assistant and the voice coach, they they were behind me and they couldn't see me weeping, you know, doing, doing the end of the, of the story. Um, but it, it really means everything to me as far as the guitar world. And, you know, uh, I am friends with Kathy and Kelly Rhodes. And, you know, I felt like I would be the right person because I know they're very sensitive about these kinds of things that really protect Randy. And so I had private conversations with, with Kathy and, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure that it's very more than respectful and very emotional and really, you know, making it clear what a beautiful person this guy was and that his light still shines as bright as it ever did really. Yeah, I think you do accomplish that with this documentary. Um, now, Andre, you've worked on documentaries about Darby Crash and Easy E, and now, of course, Randy Rhodes. Um, in your opinion, why are we so fascinated, almost to the point of canonizing musicians who've died young? Well, first off, I just want to say the, the Darby Crash um, movie, What We Do Is Secret, is actually a movie. Uh, not a doc. Oh, okay. Um, but um, yeah, the NWA Easy -E, uh, one was a documentary. But as far as what's so interesting about them is, I think there's a lot of mystery surrounding these these people. The 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 uh, when I read books, I read books, true stories about bands, musicians, um, not just those who passed early, but those who passed early. In the case of Randy Rhodes, in particular, he was such an enigma. Um, I, I consider him an enigma in the sense that he's this legend and I've always thought of him as like this immortal, but didn't know a lot about him. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know his story. And that's why I wanted to get this out there, particularly 40 years after. This is 40 years after his passing uh, of a month and a half ago. And so it's time to get that story to the people. Yeah, you really do paint a full picture of a human being and also a musician. Um, there is one intriguing section of the documentary, Tracy, that I wanted to ask you about. Um, it covers, yeah, it covers Randy's loyalty to Quiet Riot, the band mm -hmm. that he loved and, you know, but uh, didn't seem to be able to get beyond the clubs at that point. And so to be offered a huge tour and, recording with Ozzy Osbourne's new solo band. Um, I'm sure you must have been through, you know, making those kinds of decisions yourself. Can you describe oh, that, yeah. like passion versus career? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really such, a, I, don't, I don't even know what the word is. It's, it's kind of like you're, 
put on the biggest spot, you know, in the world, you know, and in my case, because I did have success with my own band, I've been able to say no to people um, that I respected so immensely. And, you know, and, and I can say straight out, you know, um, Alice Cooper and uh, Iggy Pop, you know, these are guys that I met kind of 1989 and 1990 um, rehearsing at this rehearsal place. And I was approached both those guys are like, you know, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know what I'm doing and, and I'd give anything to play with you. And Randy was just at that point where he didn't feel like he was going to lose a friend, particularly in Kevin, you know, and that Kevin might support him. And Rudy was new to the band. You know, he was essentially new to Quiet Riot, even though he's on Quiet Riot too. But he wasn't, you know, he's not, you know, Kelly, the original bass player. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it was interesting when when Randy did call Rudy up to join Ozzy as well, you know, and then, but I, I really believe that Kevin really had high hopes for Randy coming back eventually someday and, you know, kind of doing it. And then, of course, they had their own incredible success later um, with Rudy as well. Um, it was such, such an interesting thing. But, you know, but for Randy, I think that he made the smart decision for himself because, you know, I don't know what his foresight was, but the foresight would be like, hey, Ozzy Osbourne is a huge famous person in the rock world. And if I can make some noise with this guy, it's only going to improve my chances later on my own or with Quiet Riot or whatever he was thinking, you know, so it was definitely a smart decision. Just a terrifying end to an amazing story though, right? You know, I mean, it's such an an incredibly touching story from the start to the finish. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's kind of sad that he didn't get to see Quiet Riot break out with mental health just a year after he passed. I'm sure he would have been really proud of his bandmates. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that's the thing that I really understand about Randy is that he was not driven by ego as much as he was driven by music and probably a practical kind of success versus an unrealistic kind of success. And he definitely would have been very supportive and proud of his band because Quiet Riot was Randy Rhodes' band. Now, Andre, uh, I think you were probably too young to really know much about Randy's success and subsequent death in real time. Um, But can you describe what made you become a fan of his and why you wanted to tell his story through this film? I was a big fan of Ozzy. Growing up as a young kid, I was buying his albums and the guitar, just Randy Rhodes' guitar, the playing, his his writing, uh, it touched me, <laughs> it inspired me. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, throughout the years, yeah, I wasn't there seeing him play, but his recordings will live on forever. And um, I actually, as I've gone even deeper into making this documentary I've become even more a fan because I didn't listen to the the first Quiet Riot albums they're hard to find uh the ones that were you know made in the 70s uh and after listening to him I'm just blown away I I, he's always been somebody when I was a musician and I I used to have conversations about Randy Rhodes he was literally like this god I didn't know a lot about and a lot of people don't know his story and so it's it needed to get out there 
Um, Tracy, as a guitarist yourself, I'm wondering if you can describe to us who do not play guitar, uh, what kind of legacy or innovations that Randy left behind? The first thing I always describe any guitar player is, is based on their personality as a human. And um, it really comes across in someone like, that's very open, like Randy Rhodes. Um, and his style was that of kind of a backwards approach to writing music in a rock format, where most of us approach the guitar from, you know, a blues centered rock scale pattern, which is, uh, you know, uh, would be described as a minor pentatonic scale and picking out the chords from there and then moving into a natural minor scale. And it gives you that kind of darkness. But Randy really approached writing music and guitar solos and things from a major scale, which is how we all learn how to play piano, middle C and, you know, do, re, mi and all that stuff. Um, but he was able to take that point of view and make it really dark, which is very unusual. You know, usually you would come up with, you know, the happy birthday song or, you know, I want to hold your hand, you know, <laughs> something right. more like that. Um, so the inspiration um, of like, what is he doing, right? Like that, to me, that's what inspiration is. It's like, oh my God, what is that musician doing? How do I do that? And he really had his unique voice, you know? And I really believe that this recipe he had with Bob Daisley, and then obviously with Ozzy's voice over it, is what really brought him to the forefront of guitar players, especially at the time, because, you did have the party band Van Halen with, with, with Eddie Van Halen, who did play very dark and uh, metal, sorry, but they were such a pop band at the same time that that's not what Ozzy Osbourne's solo band was. So I, I find it really hard to make a comparison musically. So, you know, you have Randy that's a hired guy that's working with Bob Daisley on, you know, kind of composing, and also Don Airy, the, key, the keyboardist, um, they're composing these like great pieces of music that are really sophisticated without kind of treading into that prog rock kind of, you know, genre It's still metal, it's still rock and roll, you know, um, but it definitely has a deeper emotional attachment. And a lot of that has to do with Randy Rhodes' voice as a guitarist, you know, and that's where the inspiration lies is that mystery like, what is he doing? What is that sound I hear? How come I don't hear that on all the other songs that I just listened to? And Randy just, he had the natural gift. Yeah, it was unique. It would pull your attention to the radio, oh, yeah. even if you don't really know what you're hearing. Um, That's so right. I, yeah, I have a question for both of you. What do you hope viewers will take away from watching Reflections of a Guitar Icon? Um. I can just start with saying that, you know, uh, just as I said before, I want a better understanding of the Rhodes legacy, his accomplishments, his work ethic, um, his upbringing, being brought up in a, a, a music school surroundings with a, a, a music teacher as his mother, um, the trials and tribulations of Quiet Riot, being in a band, trying to get signed, and then going into this huge opportunity with the Aussie and his mark on establishing Ozzy's solo career, that's important. Yeah, those are things. I mean, I, I really hope that people 
that are already, you know, because the first people they're going to watch this are people that are already complete Randy fans. And I just hope that they're going to be able to get a little closer to him and feel like they learned something about his, his upbringing and his path and see it in real time and photos and, and uh, through hearing his voice and through hearing, you know, Drew and Kelly and Dana Strum talk about the story of him connecting him with Ozzy and Rudy Sarzo and, and all these people and just bringing people closer that are already fans and that hopefully that people that are just kind of like interested are really going to get that wow factor. You know, they're like, wow, never knew about this guy, heard of him, but this is bigger than life. You know, this is somebody that I feel like I really need to get into their music now. And, and there's not a lot to get into. You know, there's two studio albums. There's two Quiet Riot studio albums that he did that are very difficult to get. And there's the great live record. Um, and the search for live footage is, is just not a not a satisfying payoff so it's like this is where we're at and this is the most comprehensive look at randy rhodes from people that really knew him and grew up with him and, and loved him yeah it certainly is i am a fan but i had not heard him speaking you know very often mm -hmm. very you know so you've got some really great taped interviews audio interviews in there so I think everyone should check it out. Yeah. Um, my last, yes, last question, and then I'll let you guys go. Um, this <laughs> is the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. So I've got to ask both of you, what's your own personal rock and roll nightmare? Oh, shit. <laughs> Can you narrow it down to one, Tracy? I don't know. <laughs> I'll, you go first, Andre. All right, I got a good one. I was touring with my band first first tour we were very unknown we drove from salt lake city all the way to wisconsin nonstop. we went to madison the opening band that was local canceled six people showed up and we were so bummed that night we started drinking quite heavily <laughs> some of the guys in my band were a little aggressive I got dislocated from them, went back to my hotel. They had convinced themselves on whiskey that I had abandoned them and was gonna leave them. Came into my hotel, you know, broke the door and started beating me up and threw the TV oh. out the window. We oh got kicked out of the hotel and had to sleep by a river in a van and I'm beat up hating my band. That was a rock and roll nightmare. That is a rock and roll nightmare. All right, okay, I, I have one that, that is swallowable. So I kind of paid my dues backwards. You know, after LA Guns had a lot of success, I went out and just kind of did my own stuff for a while, but I had to start somewhere. And I started in a van with a bunch of hippies and just kind of doing these bar shows um, and having a great time, except um, we were up in, Toronto and we had to come back down into Saginaw, Michigan. I used to like to play this little, really a bar, like, you know, the stage was like a pedestal, um, but great vibe, great owners, these brothers own it. And they never had any money, you know, which was the problem. And, you know, but they would book 
me there for a lot of money and then I would show up and they would have no money. Um, so the first two times they managed to get it together somehow. And then the third time we're literally in a van driving in winter from Toronto to Saginaw, Michigan, you know, in the snow and it's snowing in icy roads with a trailer, you know, and there's, there's five of us and a keyboard player who has the whole rear of the van with a, a velvet like kind of grandpa's recliner so he could read the newspaper while we're driving all day, you know, taking up everything. We get there, it was the longest drive ever. And we pull up, there's a huge line outside and you know, we have about an hour and a half to get on. So time wasn't a problem. And the guy comes up and goes, yeah, come on, hurry up, get in. And I have to tell the tour manager, I go, hey, you got to get the money because this guy never has the money. And the guy didn't have the money. And, and the, the problem is, is that the guy always spends the money from the tickets, uh -huh. you know? And so it was, you know, a Sunday, you know, we showed up at like seven o'clock or eight o'clock. He couldn't even go to the bank to, to do anything. So we ended up just playing and never getting paid. <laughs> and, and we had no money. <laughs> it was really brutal. It was oh, really... A, a nightmare that is that wasn't that long ago that was that was like in 2012 or 13 oh wow <laughs> yeah crazy crazy how things change quickly sure is man couldn't he have venmoed you or something <laughs> you, you know when, when you're in a situation like that and you know three's the charm where the guy actually doesn't pay it's just like all right we're just not gonna go do this again <laughs> you, know, you eventually you eventually learn well thank you both i really appreciate your time and i loved the film and i want to congratulate both of you on a job well done thank, thank you very you, much right, and thanks. yeah uh that's thank you so much for the support absolutely um right. have a good one as always, I'm ending the podcast with an excerpt from Rock and Roll Nightmares True Stories. This is from Volume 1, and this is the chapter about the 27 Club. On September 3, 1970, Al Blind Owl Wilson was found dead in his sleeping bag on a hillside behind Canned Heat bandmate Bob Heights' Topanga Canyon home. Al reportedly had attempted suicide a few months earlier by driving his car off a freeway in L.A., from which he sustained a head injury. He was briefly hospitalized for significant depression, but was released a few weeks later. There has been some speculation that the nearsighted singer suffered from undiagnosed autism or Asperger's syndrome, but there's no proof of this. When his body was found, Al's hands were crossed over his chest and there was a bottle of the depressant Secanol by his side. Canned Heat's drummer, Fido de la Para, has stated that he believes his bandmate committed suicide, but there was no goodbye note and the autopsy declared the manner and cause of death as acute barbiturate intoxication. Now dubbed a forgotten fretmaster, Al Wilson's legacy lives on for those in the know. He's not the household name that many of his fellow 27 Club members are, but all one has to do is check out some YouTube videos and see and hear what a great rock and roll blues talent was lost.
This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Nightmares Books. That's B-O-O-K-S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time. (laughs) 